going to move out so I don't catch myself on fire in the candles. We're in Matthew chapter 1. If you spend time with me, one thing you'll learn about me during this time of year is I have a lot of fun poking fun at the, the, the popular Christmas songs that we sing. Um, ooh, I'm trying to think of one off the top of my head. But I, can't, I don't really have one. Like, it's immediately popping into mind other than what I'm going to share a story about with you. Uh, what I, I pick I, the most often, and it, it kind of teases a little bit, is the song Silent Night. Right? We sing Silent Night, Holy Night. All is calm, all is quiet, you know. Like nothing's going on. For completely forgetting that there's a woman giving childbirth. <laughs> with no drugs or anything. I am, I, I am convinced that that was not quiet. And I'm quite convinced when Jesus came out and they laid him in that manger, he was not quiet then either. Uh, I mean, I've only been through three childbirths, you know. I didn't do any, didn't do any of the work myself. I was kind of just there as moral support and saying uh, hi. But, but I just know not one of my kids came out very quietly. And as you could tell during the candle reading today, my kids still aren't quiet. Um, anyway, so I like to poke fun of the song Silent Night and and one time I was invited to the General Shepherd Church of the Nazarene. You know, there's our neighbors down in Hermitage. And, and they were doing a Christmas banquet, and they asked me to come speak. And so I said, you know, this would this be a good opportunity. We'll talk about where is the silence in Silent Night. And so I have a plan. My, sermon, my, my message is all around picking apart this song. Well, right before I get to go up, this little girl about nine years old comes up with her guitar. And it's told to everybody that she is going to sing a song and play her guitar for the entire church. This is the first time she's ever done it. And you'll never guess what song she picked. Silent Night. Silent Night. I'm just like, oh, no. And Nicole just looks, leans across and goes, Jason, be gentle. <laughs> I still appreciate it anyway. But, uh, but she did a beautiful job. I just look back at that and I always laugh because it's like, oh, man, the one time. The one time. In all truthfulness, how did the king come into the world? How did the king of kings and the Lord of lords come into this world? Was it really that quietly? I mean, I guess in the grand scheme of things, yes. Like, in a broad scope of the world and then humanity that's happening in that moment, it really wasn't, it wasn't like an earth-shattering cosmic event that shook the whole world to its glory <clears throat> that the world took notice of. But to the people directly involved, it was anything but quiet. Think, think about it. you're a shepherd out in the middle of, the, uh, of your flock at nighttime. It's pitch black outside. And all of a sudden, this bright light appears in the sky. And you're like, what is that? Like, to us today, that might not be as scary because, you know, we'll be outside pitch black and there's a helicopter, an airplane, whatever. Something lights up the sky. These guys, it's pitch black. Maybe their campfire is going. All of a sudden, this angel appears from nowhere. And I love how the story of Luke puts it very simply. And they were terrified. Understatement of the year. <laughs> They were scared to death. So, so today's message is called Born the King. And, and the question we're looking at is how did the king come into the world? So Matthew chapter 1, we're reading verses 18 through 25. This is 
how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man, and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had a mind to divorce, divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said to the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. This is the word of God for the people of God. So how did the king come into the world? Kind of looking at verses 18 and 19, notice it says, This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. You see, they, they treated, the process of marriage was different in the Jewish culture at the time than it is today. You know, today, you know, a couple meets, they fall in love, you know, all the, the fluffy stuff. You know, they, they date for a while, and the guy gets a ring, gets down on the knee, proposes, then they're engaged, and then, then they set the plans for the wedding, and they get all the stuff together, and right then, then, then the ceremony happens, and after the ceremony, that's when they're officially married, right? That's that's when the covenant of, of marriage is established, the contractual contract agreement between the two people is established in that ceremony. Well, the Jews it was different. You see, Mary, Mary and Joseph probably were already arranged to be married before this point. It wasn't like they, they met in a grocery store, you know, and it was one of those awkward moments where their carts crashed into each other and, you know, Hallmark movie style, and they fall in love. It, it wasn't like that. It was most likely the parents got together and said, you know, our kids would be a good match. You know, it's a lot different, right? And so there was this, there was this engagement agreement between the parents, and as, as the kids grew up and moved on and got ready for the next phase, there came a moment where they were betrothed or they were pledged to be married. And at that point, Mary and Joseph had a kind of somewhat of a say in it. They could say, yeah, you know, we're, we're, we're willing to go through with this. But the moment they said that, the moment they agreed to it, the covenant of marriage was established. There was a legal agreement between the two of them. And the only way for them to get out of it was through divorce. That was the only way it could be. So they were pledged to be married. And, and even though they were pledged to be married at this point, they still didn't live together yet. That wouldn't happen until the actual marriage ceremony took place. And, and she took, you know, they, they, they would live together. But, but there was a period of probably usually about a year to where they, they were betrothed. They were in this agreement together, but they were still making preparations for the actual marriage day. 
And that's the state in the, the time that Mary and Joseph were in together. It was just simply an agreement between the two of them. And so the time of separation had, had come to an end, and Joseph comes to pick up Mary, expecting that, that, to, to take his bride home and then, they, then to live happily ever after. But what does he find? But before they came together, she was found to be with child. <clears throat> now we have the gift of what's called hindsight, where we can look back and say, well, we know what's going on here. I don't understand why, why Joseph was all upset and worried about this. But figure it, this was now, and you didn't know any of this happening. You didn't know the story at all, and some girl comes to you and says, I've been, I'm, I'm pregnant, but through the Holy Spirit, what is your reaction going to be? Yeah, who let you out? What have you been smoking? And really, it doesn't matter how Mary tries to spin it. It doesn't matter that she could say, well, God came and told me and talked to me. But it doesn't matter. Joseph's not going to believe it. He wasn't there. He wasn't there for that part of the conversation between Mary and the angel. Imagine being Joseph in this moment. He, he, he shows up expecting to be, okay, now's the time I'm going to take Mary home, and we're going to be married, and we're going to live together happily ever after, and then he's like, oh, no. I mean, the, the scripture doesn't really give us the conversation that takes place between the two of them. We don't know if Mary just came out and told him what happened, or if she shows up, and Joseph shows up to get her, and it's pretty obvious at this point that she's pregnant. We, we don't know how it went down. But the one thing we can kind of probably guess and figure out was when Joseph heard the words from Mary, when he saw her and saw what was happening, the deep hurt that he felt. And, I mean, even, though, even if this is not a, a marriage based on love like we see it, like based on the warm, pleasant feelings like we would think it would be, there would still be hurt there. I mean, even, I mean we get upset when, when the, 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 um, the FedEx thing aligns us, our package is going to show up at this day at this time, and they show up two days late, right? We get, fed up, we get upset about that. Imagine Joseph. He is convinced that his, his wife, his future bride, has broken the marriage covenant already. And it says in verse 19, because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. You see, Joseph had every right at this point, under, under the law of Moses, to have Mary taken out of the streets and stoned to death. Matter of fact, that's what the law of God called for. And you guys know what that is. Do you know why the Jews were so harsh on the, the adultery that, that the person had to be killed? It has to do with the marriage covenant itself. You see, the marriage covenant, the way they viewed it, and, and, and the way we still view it, is it was one man and one woman coming together. It wasn't a business contract. It wasn't Yes, there's a legal contract there, but it's deeper than that. It's a, it's a covenant. Like God made a covenant with us. This bond that we will be together forever and we will be one person. And this is kind of a side tangent, but do you guys understand that adultery is anything that breaks that covenant? Anything that breaks that covenant. It's not just looking at another woman lustfully. It's not just sleeping around and cheating. It's anything that breaks that covenant is adultery. 
That means even if you have a spouse and you're lying to them and you're not telling the truth to them or you're withholding information from them, that's still adultery. That's what Jesus talks about. That's why he talks about it, you know, having lustful thoughts in the mind, but it goes farther than that. It's anything that breaks that covenant of marriage is adultery. Anyway, so, so, but, so the belief was, and the scripture points to this, that when a man and woman come together, they, they, they become one flesh, right? They become one. That means they, be, they have one identity, that's them together. When that covenant is broken and destroyed, it's like they literally took the one person that God brought together and, and meshed it together in this covenant. They took that one person and they killed it by breaking it into two. So in the Jewish understanding and, and, and the way God taught it to his people was adultery was the same as murder. Because you are murdering that one covenant. And that's where Joseph thought he was. He and Mary had this agreement that they were going to be married and live together. They were going to be one. And now here she is. She's fully pregnant. With this outlandish story. And Joseph had every right to be hurt in this moment. He should be hurt in this moment. And in his anger, he could have grabbed her by the hair, drug her in the streets, and formed the, the posse to have her stoned to death. But that's not what he does, is it? And that's what it says. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man. You see that word, righteous man? That means he's a devout. That he follows the law of God. He knows what the law of God says. He's obedient to the law of God. That in this moment, he has, a, he has a conundrum. The law of God tells him he has to have, he should have, he should have Mary stoned. He should have her killed. At the same time, though, he says he did not want to expose her to public disgrace. So he had in mind to divorce her quietly. He knew what the law of God said. He knew what, he knew what God's word said. He knew what the rabbis had taught him through the years, what the tradition taught, that she should be killed. But something was telling him, no, no, don't do this. I know what my word says. That's not called for here. And for some unknown reason to Joseph, he has this decision of, you know what, the right thing to do isn't to have him killed, it's to, to show her mercy. To have her put away quietly. To spare her life. chooses mercy. The righteous man chooses mercy over the lawyer. Anyway, verse 20. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. So Joseph, he's in a mess, isn't he? His life is a complete wreck at this point. 
His, his entire dream of how he thought everything was going to be and how it was going to turn out, it's gone. Just rubble all around it. But what does God do in this moment for Joseph? He doesn't leave him there floundering and dying on his own. He doesn't leave him there with a broom and a dustbin and say, hey, start cleaning this up for yourself. Look at the mess you've made. No, what does God do? God sends an angel. God sends someone to him. And honestly, this is really the only option God has in fairness to Joseph. Because Joseph is not... He's convinced Mary has committed adultery. She's broken that covenant. What else is going to change his mind? There's no story that can be told. There's, you know, doctors aren't going to take Mary's side. The only thing Mary has is her integrity. She knows what happened. She knows that God knows what's happened. The only thing she can do is wait patiently and hope God does something. Joseph, he's so certain this is what's happened. He's so convinced that he's correct and he's right in his understanding right here that God has to send an angel to tell him no. No. This crazy story that you've heard, it's true. And so God comes to Joseph in the middle of his mess. Notice he doesn't come to Joseph at the beginning of it, right? He doesn't come to him before Mount Mary tells him this part of the story. He comes after, when he's in the middle of all the hurt and the pain and and associated with that's when God's angel comes to him and says, No, this is my plan. I need you to trust me. And, and really understand this too. There's a risk for Joseph in this. If, if it gets found out that he is taking this woman that's pregnant but out of wedlock to be his wife, you know what it's going to do to his reputation and his standing in the Jewish community? There's some scholars believe that's why he, ultimately he has to move to Nazareth. The poor part of town. Remember when Jesus comes and he, under the scene in John, and he comes to the to the apostle, to the disciple Nathaniel, and Nathaniel's like, "Can anything good come from Nazareth?" It's like, "Can anything good come from that side of town, from that area?" That's essentially what he was saying, and that's where Jesus was from. It doesn't have to be that's that Joseph and Mary had to come back and settle down there because maybe they weren't welcome anywhere else. The angel says, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what's conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son because you are, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from his sin. Well, the angel comes to Joseph. And, and the key to all this, understand that, this is verse 23. The, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Joseph is in a mess in his life, and, and God comes to Joseph, not outside of the mess. Not, he doesn't wait for Joseph to clean it up first. He doesn't come before the mess. He comes to Joseph in the middle of it all and says, this mess is okay. Here I am. This is my plan. He tells him in a dream, he tells Joseph that God was with him in the mess. 
He comes and tells him the mess is okay, and he says, God is with you in it. And even better yet, in verse 21, you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. He tells him that God, the mess is okay, that God's with him in the mess. And then he tells Joseph, there's a purpose to this. I have a purpose for you in this mess. Verse 24, when, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel Lord commanded him, took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to his son and gave him the name Jesus. He woke up from that dream. He didn't create a spreadsheet. He didn't read all the latest books out there on faith and trusting God. He doesn't go see a psychiatrist. And say, what's wrong with me? I'm having these strange genes where angels are talking to me. Doesn't consult the pastor first or the rabbi. He wake up, woke up. And he knew that this was the command of God. He knew it was the right thing to do. He was obedient to God. And he's obedient to God by being faithful to Mary. question, how did the king come into the world? In a more local sense, the king came into the world in a hot mess. And think about it. Think about it. The story gets even outlandish, more outlandish from here. So the government, in all of its wisdom, says, hey, we, let's, let's, let's count the people. Let's, let's do a census and have everybody go home to where they're from and register so that way we know how many people are in our kingdom. That sounds like a government operation, right? So that's what they do. Mary and Joseph, they go. They get to town. It's late. They're like, oh, we'll go stay at the end tonight. There ain't no room. Ain't no room for them. She's pregnant, about to give birth, and there's just not any room for them inside the inn. They can't even, they can't even find a little bit. They can't even ask somebody else that's nice and warm to get up and leave. So this pregnant woman, no, they don't even do that. It's, well, sorry. Very much luck. That's a bit of a mess, right? It's a mess in Joseph and Mary's life. It's a mess right now because it's all messed up and it's all broken and there's no place for them to stay except for the barn. God comes right in the middle of that mess. And really, really think about when Jesus came and found you, when you were lost, wandering in the darkness on your own, when, when was it that you found Jesus? Right in the middle of the mess. In those dark moments of your life where you thought you were all alone and beat down and the world had gotten you and beat you, And Jesus came and visited you and had that conversation. He said, get back up. Trust me. Have faith. Follow me. He came to you in the middle of that mess, didn't he?
There's something about this, this name of Emmanuel, which means God with us, that God with us means God came into this mess to be with us. He didn't wait for it to be all pretty and put together. Matter of fact, his very coming, God with us, God himself coming, it, it created a mess all of its own. Mary and Joseph's lives would have been just fine had, had God not picked them. But when God picked them, guess what? That's when their lives got complicated. That's when the conflict started. That promise of God with us means he came here to be with us. And he came to be here with us right in the middle of everything. And not just that. He didn't just come to, to, he came for us, yes. He came to be with us in the mess, and, but not more than that. God came to work through us in the mess. sermon of God used throughout the pages of scripture. God didn't, Moses didn't start trying to lead the people of God when he was already in Pharaoh's palace, did he? God, God already had him in the palace. He was already there. He had the best education money could buy. He was the, 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 the son of Pharaoh's daughter. But God didn't start using him. He didn't start hearing the voice of God in his life until when? Until after he had run through the wilderness. He didn't come to the Jewish nation when they were free and a mighty superpower of their own. He didn't came, come when Jerusalem had the fortified walls around it and they were flying the banner of David there. No, when did he come? Jesus came when his people were under Roman control. Emmanuel, God with us. And the lesson in all of that, what God wants us to know today, what he wants us to understand and know and trust him with is the fact that peace is not something that you're ever going to find in this world. Peace does not exist on this earth. Did you know that? There's nothing here that, that, that screams peace. From the very beginning, we have been at war with one another. From the moment since this creation, a wall was thrown up between Adam and Eve. And what was the first thing they did? They pointed the fingers at one another and said, well, they did it first. The very next chapter in that Genesis chapter 4, what happens? Cain's upset because God's blessing his brother Abel. And he thinks God's plan favorites, and he doesn't understand why, that maybe perhaps it's his sacrifice, his heart in the giving of the sacrifice that's wrong. And so what's he do? He kills his brother. And time and time again, we see that there is no peace found among ourselves. It's been five seconds watching the news about our country right now.
our own leaders of the nation are so, so set on their own selves that they are unwilling to reach across the aisle and even work towards anything that, that looks like compromise with one another. We like to call ourselves the greatest nation in the history of the world. And if we can't figure it out, with all of the greatest technology, all the latest technology and the smartest people and the best education system and the best fighting force the world's ever seen, if we can't figure it out. And somehow I think we've all adopted that Roman mentality. See, the Romans believe in this idea of Pax Romana, and they believe that if they conquered everybody, if they just conquered all of their enemies, there would be peace. Because everybody would be Roman. And I think we still operate under that same understanding. We believe if we conquer all of our enemies, we stomp them into the, stomp them into the ground, that there will be this peace that happens. And sometimes, and, and the Jews believe this, and sometimes I still think that we think this way as the church, we believe that Jesus is going to come back and do that very thing. He's going to come he's coming back to squash all the bad guys and make them get right. But he didn't do that to the Romans, did he? He came back in the middle of a mess. And, he's, and it, it, we, we talked about it last week. He came not to squash the enemies, but to turn your enemies into your friends. He didn't come to make you prosperous in the middle of this crazy world. And now prosperity is the lost being found. So what is peace then? We've been talking about peace all day. We talked about the peace candle. We've been singing songs about peace. What is peace? And we're asking the wrong question. It's not what is peace, it's who is peace. And peace is God with us. Jesus is peace. Without Jesus, there is no peace. Think about it. Back in the original garden, when everything was perfect, it tells you that God would come and walk with them in the evening of the day. God's presence was with them. And what does Jesus say to comfort that dying thief next to him on the cross? He looks at him and says, today you will be with me in paradise. It wasn't the paradise that was peaceful. It was the presence of God that was going to be with him. Jesus is peace. He was born the king, the prince of peace to come into our mess, to be our peace in the middle of it, not to stop the mess, not to clean it up, but to be our peace right in the middle of everything that's going on, to be the anchor that holds us firm and secure. I think there's a hymn about that, right? He, more than that, he came to dwell in your heart. Give you peace in your heart. That not all the storms of life are raging around you. Furnaces are breaking. And the boiler is just not, it's working one day and it's not working the next. And you just want to take a chair to it. Because nothing else is obviously not working, so we might as well try that. But Jesus came to be your peace in the middle of those situations too. So you don't have to throw a temper tantrum like that. Even the moments where we have conflict with one another. He didn't come to, to squash those conflicts. No, he came to give you peace in the middle of them. So that way, give you a place to start so you could talk to each other. 
Let me on that. He wants to work through us in this messy place to be the peace for somebody else. Think about it. I remember one day me and Nicole were over at Perkins, and there was this young waitress, and she's like one of two waitresses on staff, and it was very busy. And she was having a bad day. And I remember she, she had just came to our table and got our drink order, and as she's walking, this, this, this guy over here just looks at her and goes, Hey, where are my napkins? I asked for napkins ten minutes ago. And he's just living about these napkins. And then she gets napkins, and then he comes back, and he's griping at her about something else. That's what the world taught us. To take care of yourself first. To, to, to think that people aren't, that you can't trust other people. But that's not what the Bible teaches you. No, the Bible, Jesus tells you, no, I'm your peace. Trust me. Do what's right. Believe that other person's going to do what's right. It's amazing when you start believing people what they do. One thing I want to take home is we have to stop focusing on the mess itself. Let's stop focusing on our problems. I'm not saying you ignore them, you sweep under the rug, and you say, well, there was a problem, but hey, now we have a rug. No. But stop focusing on it, thinking that's the thing that defines you somehow. That maybe if you just get this, this mess cleaned up and straightened out, that, that now your life's going to be at peace and everything's going to be great. You know what happens when you get that one fixed? Another one's going to pop up. Just stop. You can't keep looking at the world thinking, well, maybe if we just get the right guy in power, it'll solve all of our problems. Boy, that didn't work, did it? You gotta stop focusing on the mess. But we start focusing on Jesus instead. Prince of Peace, God with us. And we start focusing on God with us, and if we're kind of like Joseph, in the middle of all this mess, is obedient to God in every aspect of the way. What if we did that? Can we focus on mercy instead of the law? I know what the laws of God say, say it says. I know what the Bible says. But I also know what Jesus said. Love your neighbor as yourself. Blessed are the peacemakers. What if we let that rain? <laughs> what if we focused on being obedient and loving? Instead of what it's going to cost our reputation. 
instead of being popular. Can we embrace the mess that is our lives and allow God to use us? Stop saying, no, God, I'll get my life together and then you can use me somehow. What if I told you God wanted to use you right now, right here, right now? So it's really easy to seal myself off from the rest of the world at this point. I get a phone call from my pastor says, Jason, you want to work with the teenagers? Why can I hate these kids? Man, I'm hurting. I don't know what ways, I don't know what I don't know what's up from down, I don't know left from right. I don't know where I'm at. How can I possibly help them help them through things like this? He's like, okay, I'll do it. Time and time again, God worked with those students' lives. He did something. Changed their hearts. Changed their minds. It wasn't me. I couldn't even feel the presence of God in my life, but I trusted him. I knew he was my peace. I knew it was that peace to me when he called me to do it. Trust me, I was, not, I was not the best youth leader at that time at all. I almost set the curtains on fire once, and I did set my little brother's hair on fire. Um, but God worked the mess. He didn't wait till I got it all together and figured it out. As a church, he's not going to wait for us to get together and figure it all out. No, he wants to work through us right here, right now, in the middle of the mess that we're in. So maybe we focused on him. Maybe that would change our perspective some. I'm going to ask everybody to bow their heads and close their eyes. And maybe you're here today and you've never experienced the peace of God in your life. And you want, you, want, you, want that, you want to experience God with us. God with me. In the middle of a mess that is your life. If that's your excuse, let me just raise your hand so I know how to pray for you. Maybe you're here today and God's calling you to just trust Him and be obedient. Stop focusing on the problems around you and focusing on who it is he's called you to be. Maybe, maybe you, you've kind of taken your eyes off that and God's like, the Spirit's speaking to you this morning and say, hey, God, point me back. Remind me, God with us through my peace. If that's you this morning, you want me to pray for you, just raise your hand. Dear God, we search for peace in so many different ways and so many different areas of our lives. The crazy thing is, you're right there in our hearts. The Prince of Peace, the, the God of all creation, the God of the universe, the God that spoke and calmed the storms with three words, lives in our hearts. God, when we start searching for peace outside of you, would you teach us to 
to act differently because of that peace. To love differently because of that peace. To try things differently because of that peace. For those of us, Lord, that maybe we've taken our eyes off of, of you a little bit, we got too focused on the mess around us, Lord, Help us to know it's, you love us and it's okay. You're there with us. And, and you, help us to redirect our eyes to you. To put our hope in you. For I think of the song that says, I will stand my ground where hope can be found. That hope that can be found is only in you, God. And in your presence. Help us to understand that your presence isn't bound to this room or to one room more, but it exists in our hearts and goes with us. Lord, I pray that, that you would give us your spirit of peace this, this Christmas. That may be, that have that peace be our sense of joy. May it direct our love in, in these next few days. In your name I pray. Amen. Know that your, God, your heart is God's throne, that the spirit of Jesus dwells in you. you